This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. What did I have for breakfast? Oh, I had scrambled eggs and grilled salmon. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Uma Paganapake Pagan, and joining me today is author Marjorie Liu. I had a chance to speak to her a few weeks ago at this year's edition of the Singapore Writers' Festival, where we geeked out a little bit about comic books. Hi, my name is Marjorie Liu, and I am the author of Monstrous, which is a comic book out from Image. It's about a young woman who has an actual monster living inside of her. Which everyone knows by now because it's wonderful <laughs> and everyone's read it, I'm sure. And if they haven't, they really, really should. Oh, thank you. Uh, so let's talk comic books. Uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's begin with, I guess, your first encounters with the medium. Do you oh. remember how old you were, what, what it was? Well, you better believe I remember. And it, actually, I was not, um, I wasn't even a... a, a child really I wasn't little um, I guess the first comic book I ever read really was in high school and it was Mouse by Art Spiegelman and that was because it was assigned to us um, and I loved it it was incredibly powerful it was um, really they assigned you Mouse at high school yes that's fantastic it was that, it was that kind of high school <laughs> <laughs> and I had never I had never encountered anything like it and um, but even even so I wasn't really inspired to go out and read more comics. Um, my friends were obsessed with Spawn. They loved Spawn, but they wouldn't let me get close to their comics. They wouldn't let me touch them. Like, they would huddle around. Gloves, No, bags. oh, for real. They would <laughs> huddle around, like, their, their issues of Spawn. I'd be, like, peering over their shoulder, like, no, 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 no. And so um, I, I didn't really pick up another comic again until I was 18. And there was a comic book store down the street. And what led me in there was that I had started watching the, the X-Men cartoon that came out in the 90s on Fox. With that fantastic theme oh, song. Oh, my, my gosh. Dun, 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 dun. And it was, that was just the craziest soap opera I had ever seen. And I was, I was enthralled. I was absolutely enthralled. And so I wandered into this, this comic book store, Powerhouse Comics in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I went to the X-Men section, and I remember um, the first issue I picked up was during Operation Zero Tolerance, and it was the issue in which Cecilia Reyes was introduced. It was her first appearance in which she was introduced to um, Iceman, and I still remember to this day how like enraptured I was with not just the story but the art, and suddenly I was, suddenly I was in comics. Um, I read that issue of X-Men, devoured it, went back, reread it, poured over the art, really was like, really sat there thinking about, you know, how, how these, how these conversations that these characters were having, how it was like watching a film, you know, but, but with this, you know, with this incredible art style, yeah, it was I still glow when I think about it. Like, I, I feel really excited remembering that first encounter with the X-Men, like, on the page. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you started your career as an author of, of books. Oh, yeah. No, I was, um, I, I was a novelist. I guess I still am. Um, I, I wrote romance novels. I wrote romance novels, paranormal romance, and urban fantasy. Yeah. My first novel was about, um, was set in Beijing and it's about this, this woman who goes, <laughs> who goes to Panjiaren, the antique uh, market and picks up a, a magic box. And when she opens it in her hotel room, a seven foot tall shape shifting tiger warrior comes out. 
<laughs> and the adventure begins. <laughs> you know, which, which already has uh, certain comic overtones already. Well, it was definitely it was it was definitely over the top and larger than life. But what was that transition? I mean, I mean, you had written nineteen novels. Ah, right? uh, yeah, eighteen or nineteen. Eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, and I lost count. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What was that transition? At what point did you go, hey, I'm going to try my hand at this thing that I love? Well, see, okay, so this is really interesting because um, I would say, at, well, well, actually, I can, I can, I can track this, I can track this, um, you know, exactly because I was, I had my first meeting with my agent, first time ever in Tucson, Arizona, on Halloween. Um, or maybe it was a day or two before Halloween. Already at, the beginnings yes, of a great story. At the World Fantasy Convention. And we are having lunch, chatting up. And this little boy runs up, um, dressed as Superman. And I said, oh, I love Superman. I love reading comics. And she said, oh, really? Oh, really? I happen to know an editor at Pocket um, who is uh, editing a new line of, um, of X-Men, Avenger, and Spider-Man books because they just signed a licensing deal with Marvel. Would you like to write one? And I said, would I ever? <laughs> now, this was around the time the Spider-Man movie was coming out, and so everyone was submitting proposals for Spider-Man novels. No one had submitted a proposal for the X-Men, which shocked me. And so I was like, let me do this. And so I dashed one off. And it was like an intergalactic um, war story between the X-Men and the Shi'ar. And they're like, mm, no, give us another one. And so they were like, we want one that shows more character. I'm like, okay. So I submitted a proposal for a, a novel in which the X-Men would switch bodies with regular people who were in an insane asylum. And so the X-Men would be locked in an insane asylum in completely human bodies uh, while their superhuman bodies were possessed by these other people. And they were like, yes, that's exactly what we want. And I was like, okay, all right. I, I do like that you went big with your first proposal, <laughs> though. You just went intergalactic. I went intergalactic, and then I brought it home. <laughs> but what was interesting was that, that this novel um, was also gender-bending. So Wolverine was a woman. Um, Cyclops was a woman. Jean Grey was a man. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember if any. I don't think anyone else um, was gender bent, and they were totally okay with that. Excellent. But yeah, and I had a great time writing that novel, and um, and that was sort of the beginning because my editor later gave me feedback. She said, "You know, the the folks at Marvel had to approve the work, and they really enjoyed it. They liked you know your characters, and so I was like, cool. So at the first New York Comic Con, it was literally the first one." ever, you know, I attended to promote, you know, the X-Men novel, Dark Mirror. And I, it gave me the courage to go up to their head of recruitment and give him my card and say, hey, if you ever need a writer, here I am. And this was back in like 2005 or 2006. And it took a couple of years, but eventually they had me um, start work on NYX, which was, um, which, you know, is about uh, teenage mutants who live homeless on the streets of New York. And that was my first book at Marvel. And from there, um, I, I just never stopped. And even before Monstrous, through X-Men, through Star Wars, you've had the opportunity to play in a lot of toy box. Oh, my gosh. What's that like? And I'm always <laughs> curious as to the restrictions they may place on you. Well, what's really interesting is that particularly when I first started out at Marvel, I would say pre, pre-Disney merger, um, there were almost no restrictions whatsoever. 
I mean, I, and I, I really do mean that literally. Like, we were working on characters that were um, fun. Like, you know, NYX wasn't one of their big books. Dark Wolverine was not one of their b- big books. And they kind of just gave us free reign to do whatever we wanted, and, which we did. And it was a lot of fun. Um, and it, with Black Widow, because they were thinking about making a movie um, with her at the time, which never came to fruition, unfortunately, um, there were a few more restrictions, but really not many. Um, they were just looking for a good story. Um, same with X-23. And with the X-Men, yeah, it wasn't, even though it was an X-Men book, it wasn't one of their their main X-Men titles. And so they also said just, you know. Go nuts. Go nuts. Like, do whatever you want. And and having the ability to to take these characters that I was so in love with and basically put my spin on them to kind of crawl under their skin and think about them as people, not just, you know, not as superheroes exactly, but as people, was such a delight. And that was the one thing I always wanted to do when I, when I wrote this book. I wanted to focus less on power and more on humanity. And so for all, in all the books I ever wrote for, you know, for Marvel, my characters are almost never in uniform. They're almost always in street clothes. They're almost always um, walking around, like out in a city somewhere, a lot of scenes take place, like in Astonishing X-Men, a lot of scenes take place, you know, in New York, like on the street, you know, in my favorite curry shop, you know, in New York, curry ya. Like, there, you know, it actually shows up. Like, you know, like I really wanted to, to root these superheroes um, in reality because that's how I saw them. And what has it been like being a woman in the industry? I mean, I, sp- I remember speaking to Scott McCloud about, two, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And there was something that he said, and he said, um, when talking to comic book artists and writers, he says he's witnessed a growing number of women in the industry, and he was convinced, and maybe optimistically so, he was convinced that within 10 years, he said women will outnumber men in the comic book industry. I think, I, I think that that will be true, certainly, in, um, in certain segments of of comic book publishing. And perhaps I think it, there's a possibility that will happen at Marvel and DC, but they move a lot more slowly. So for example, when I first started out in 2007, um, I was, I, I don't think I was, I don't know if I was the only, I don't think I was not the only female writer at Marvel, but I think there may have only been maybe two of us. Wow. Yeah. At the time. And, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. And apologies, heartfelt apologies. If God I am, knows that's if why I we am, have Twitter. <laughs> if, if I am wrong, I'm so sorry ahead of time. So sorry. Um, but, you know, I was, if I'm not mistaken, like, you know, I was, I think I was certainly the only woman to ever write NYX. I think I was the only woman to ever write Dark Wolverine. The only woman to ever write um, X-23, Black Widow. Um, Han Solo. Definitely Han Solo. Yeah. And the only one of color at that as well. And so it's, it's been, it's been an interesting journey because, um, I came from an industry, the romance industry, which was all women for women written for the female gaze. And suddenly I am, I am in an industry that is all male. Um, everything written for the male gaze, particularly the straight white male gaze. Yeah, And, 
and it was an interesting transition because I could I felt the I felt how out of touch um, the folks at, at Marvel in particular were. Um, I had a top editor at Marvel say to me point blank that women cannot write superhero comics because women don't read them. That somehow I was an exception, you know, simply because um, I guess I had proven myself writing Dark Wolverine. Oh, but you not know. you. You're different. I'm different. I'm different. But women, psh. And I looked at him and I was like, that's not true. And he was like, oh, psh. And he kind of just, you know, waved me off. But I came from fandom. Correct. I came from a fandom that was driven part primarily, in my experience, by women. All the women were running the fan sites. The women were writing the fan fiction. The women were in charge of, like, the little fan groups, the fan email groups that I, that I was part of talking about the X-Men. And so I knew, I knew that, that women were a driving force, you know, in the reader, in, in, behind the readership of these books. And not only that, women of color, queer women. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, you like, like, you're living in a fantasy world, man. Like, you really are. Step out of the bubble, right? Just step out of the bubble. But, but that's the problem at Marvel and DC that the the bubble is strong. Well, also, they're these slow lumbering beasts. Right? They are they're slow so big lumbering beasts. They are. It's funny because comics is an industry that's far more nimble than than traditional publishing, and yet when it comes to issues of race and gender, they are not nimble at all. Now, that said, when I first started out, I would be on panels where it was like a sausage fest. It was 12 dudes and me, right? <laughs> and and some that still happens a lot, but perhaps a little bit less so. Um, but there were always these, these women who would come up to me afterwards and say, I want to write comics, but everyone tells me I can't because I'm a woman. How do I break in? Can I write comics? It wasn't even like – it wasn't it, – the question was as fundamental as – can I write comics? Can I do this? Will I be allowed hmm. to do this because I am a woman? And I would, I would say, well, yeah, yes, yes. Um, but I don't get asked that question anymore. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It, it brings – I feel really good about that. I do not get asked that question anymore. And I look around at the internet. I look at all these amazing comics that are being created on the web, that are being published, um, and – so many of them are written by women, by queer women, by women of color. And I know in my heart, I know in my heart that the industry is changing, is changing for the better. And that I think Scott is right, that in 10 years, like, if nothing else, I think that we ha will have reached, um, you know... An equilibrium of An sorts. equilibrium of sorts. That's my hope. But again, I don't know, I don't know if that equilibrium will, will have reached Marvel and DC. Um, I don't think it will start reaching Marvel and DC until there are more structural changes um, within the companies about who's in charge, um, you know, who's an editorial, um, you know, like because folks like to protect their privilege. Yeah. And they like to hire people who are like them. And so that's its own thing. But within indie comics, yes, I, I firmly believe that, that, um, that a good positive change is happening. So you teach yes. as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me tell you what's the biggest issue that I've come across in getting people to read comics. Now, uh, a lot of people come to me at home after watching these movies mm -hmm. and they love the movies and they're like, hey, where can I, where can I learn more about this stuff? What, right. what can I get into? What can I read? Right. And I'll recommend stuff and they go away and then they come back and, and we end up talking about it. And I found that 
that people don't know how to read comics. Oh, no. Oh, no. Folks have to be taught how to read comics. It's a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not intuitive. And it, particularly in, in certain cultures, like I can only speak to the Asian American, or not the Asian, sorry, not the Asian American. Well, I can, of course, speak to the Asian American experience. But in this case, I just mean the American, right. North American context where, um, you know, folks, folks know how to read novels. Like, for them, it's, like, real straightforward. And they can watch movies. Watch movies. But as soon as you, you hand them a comic, which is an intersection, it's, like, the perfect, the perfect child of, of prose and film, suddenly folks are like, yo, Yeah, somehow the grammar's all this. over the place. They just yeah. don't, know, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, like I, like, I don't know the right panel order to follow. I don't know, like, how to, to you know, think about, okay, well, you know, do I, do I read this bubble first? You know, like, I don't get it what's happening and admittedly i have the same problem as well with some some of the more creative panelists right. i often like wait, wait, yeah, what's going it's like, on? yeah it's not intuitive it's not intuitive but i think that um you know and i think that was my even my initial issue like when i first began reading mouse it wasn't entirely comfortable because i i had to i had to sit with it long enough to really get it and i think now we're not necessarily a culture of patience where people are taught to endure discomfort long enough to to embrace something different, to learn how to do something different, um, you know, it's that's not a that's not like a skill that we've got much of anymore. Um, and so, with comics, you know, if you're not familiar with comics, it's there can be a learning curve where you have to sit with something and really take it in. And, and, you know, embrace it in ways that, that may not always be comfortable. But what a crazy time, huh? I yeah. mean, in the sense that these very same people who used to probably make fun of me are now <laughs> just like, hey, what is it you're reading? Yeah. And can I get into some of that? Yeah. And that for me is truly, I never thought that would happen. I thought this would be something of a... I thought it would remain a subculture within a subculture. But, you know, everything comes full circle because when comics were still first being published, like in the 20s and 30s, they were huge. That's true. They were absolutely, everyone was reading them. They were available everywhere. They were for everyone. Um, you know, not just men, but women too and children. And so reading comics was natural. Yeah. Like it was just, it was part, is part of your everyday. And then, you know, the comics code was instilled and, and, and comics went away and suddenly they were seen as, you know, reductive and just for children. But we're, you know, we're, we've come full circle where now there's this growing awareness, a reawareness of the power of the medium, that this is a medium that can convey story in ways that television can't necessarily and that prose can't necessarily, but that you can, you can, you can sit in a comic and receive the best of both worlds um, in ways that are deeply, deeply pleasurable. What comics are you reading right now? What comics am I reading right now? Um, part of what happens is that whatever I'm writing, I don't, I don't read. So when I'm writing comics, I'm reading prose. When I'm, when I'm writing prose, I'm reading comics. Right. And so basically I've been doing nothing but, but reading prose for the last, like, I would say for the last month or two. Um, but I will say, if you need any recommendations, I always recommend Jillian Tamaki's um, Super Mutant Magic Academy because I think that book is absolutely amazing and subversive and hilarious. And it's like the, it's like the X-Men on, um, it's the best X-Men ever, but like on crack. Fantastic. Yeah. I will look it up. Thank Marjorie, you. it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. 
Marjorie Liu was one of the many featured writers at this year's Singapore Writers Festival. She is the author of 18 novels and so many comic books. But if you need to start somewhere, I'd highly recommend Monstrous. It is wonderfully written. It is beautifully drawn. It is nothing short of genius. This is Bookmark. You're listening to BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.